Welcome, everybody, to the ninth episode of Out to Lunch and the second episode of the Software Adoption mini-series hosted by Yip Ten Bosch and Hans Ube. In this episode, we dine with the leading duo of SAP partner Veritas Prime and talk about how the focus of consultancy has shifted from tech to business in their transformation to becoming a cloud-minded system integrator for SAP. Enjoy. All right, welcome to the second episode of the um, adoption series of the Out to Lunch podcast. And today uh, we're here with the people from Veritas Prime, um, Jessica Pappas, who's the exact VP of client engagement, and Michael Pappas, who's a managing partner at Veritas Prime. Uh, welcome, guys. Um, and we have Hans Uber here as well, who's um, heading up the uh, ecosystem delivery success team within SAP, um, a team that focuses on uh, supporting our partners in, uh, in the adoption of our software. Uh, welcome as well, Hans. Hey, first question, obviously, obviously um, anybody want to share what they're having for lunch? A sandwich. I'm a sandwich girl. Cheese sandwich, <clears throat> vegetables on a bagel. Originally from the Northeast, so you've got to have a good bagel. True, true. We have, uh, we're actually having a company trip soon, so I'm in uh, a slim down mode, and I'm, I'm actually just sticking with some coffee today. <laughs> Very nice. As long as a decent coffee will get you a long way, right? Yeah, cool. Hey, and, and, and it's quite interesting, right? Because I mean, um, um, Jessica, you're, you're more on the, on the sales side and Michael, you're more um, on consulting and, and the implementation side as we, uh, as we talked about it uh, offline a bit. And it's interesting to hear how those two worlds sort of um, are combined in the whole, the whole success story of uh, Veritas Prime. Uh, so I'm interested in that. And especially, um, as you just alluded to, you, you two have both seen the transition from on-prem to, uh, to cloud. And I'm, I'm curious to hear how both sales and implementation have changed over the years and changed together over the years in that whole transformation? Is there something that you want to share and, and your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll start because if you think about the customer life cycle, it's always going to start you know, earlier on with the client engagement team or the sales team, if you will. So from a client engagement standpoint, we don't call ourselves sales and marketing because with the cloud world, we're not coming in and implementing something day one and disappearing, right? Once you're live, we're gone. We have to be a part of that customer's life cycle forever. So we refer to ourselves as the client engagement team. And so, you know, we're there early on to help them. Uh, we're there throughout their journey of their shorter, much shorter. You know, I joked earlier about, you know, my one project that I had done at, at, at one point was 13 months before I, I decided to make a career change. It's not like that as much anymore. You're not on site for, for years implementing. So once they're, it's faster, it's more agile, right? And so once they're live, there is that continued engagement. And so we just always want to be there as part of the success of our customers. But the one thing that I, I always share uh, when we're starting the journey with customers is, think about it. We live in a world of instant gratification. Um, you know, when you think about your phone, uh, you know, I can turn my home alarm on from my bed. I can order something on Amazon that'll be here in three hours from now. Uh, you know, I ordered my, my sandwich today right from my phone and it's delivered outside of my office almost here at my house. So everything we do in our consumer lives, we can do right on our phone. We have to create those same experiences for customers 
in, in our space as well. So, you know, we, we have to take that consumer experience that they expect and we have to make it for their, for the people they're going to acquire, right? If you're hiring uh, Gen Z millennials, that's the world that they live in. It's the world that we all live in today. How do you create that experience when you're acquiring talent? Yeah, and it's, with that in mind, you guys created also the, the marketplace probably for, for services and also a subscription model, right? So that customers have a choice and have everything at their fingertips uh, essentially ready to go. Is that is that flow, sort of flowing out of that mindset and that, that sort of vision that you have? Absolutely. You know, and, and I don't know if Mike wants to dig on this more, but as we partner in this cloud space with the subscription model, we too are looking for ways to continuously build that greater experience, that extensibility, uh, creating those experiences above and beyond what's even available. And we're able to do that with SAP, with the BTP you know, platform. And we've created a lot of partnerships and products on top of it to continue to create that great experience. Uh, Mike, anything you would share about that additionally? Well, I mean, yeah, just, I mean, first backing up a little bit, uh, just coming back to the original question on, you know, the the on-premise days and, and transitioning uh, to cloud, because it's not just the sales process that has changed, and it's fundamentally transformed the entire industry and the business and how we have to operate as service providers. Um, you know, going back myself, uh, we weren't just called consultants back then. We were called functional consultants. What the heck does that even mean? Uh to be a consultant, you had to know these uh, fancy transactions like SPRO uh, and SC16 uh, doing config tables. And, you know, it required uh, some really big technical skill sets. There was a big learning curve uh, to, to learning the technology. Um, and if you were a really good consultant and you could go into SC38 and, and put a, a breakpoint in on the code, and start debugging, you weren't just called the functional consultant, you were called the function, function technical uh, consultant. And uh, so those, those people were highly valued on the projects that, that could look at the code and uh, also do config and uh, consult and talk to the customer. And when SAP did the acquisition of success factors, uh, this was 2012, it was a real eye-opening uh, experience for the all of the consultants. Uh, this was uh, pre-Veritas Prime, we didn't exist yet. And uh, we knew we all had to reskill and we knew we had to rethink of uh, how we do work. And um, we saw the very early days of this transition to cloud uh, once SAP, uh, SAP acquired success factors. And I always kind of share the story of um, seeing these two ecosystems collide, which I referred to as the uh, legacy SAP partners and the legacy uh, success factor partners, because uh, success factors itself had its own existing partner ecosystem. And those first two years, it was a collision. It was it was it was a mess, let's be honest. Um, and that's where we saw an opportunity as a company. We had you know, legacy SAP partners that were really struggling to change their business model on how they're going to implement projects, how they're going to price their projects, um, uh, how they're going to, uh, you know, to explain to a customer, hey, you can use this product out of the box and the, the project doesn't need to be 18 months long or, or two years long. There were a lot of, I would say, legacy partners that struggled 
um, with this with this model. And on the flip side, the legacy success factor partners, I mean, look, they all grew up as you know, performance management and compensation consultants. They were entering a, a world now of full enterprise cloud adoption as employee central was, was being built out into the product. And we saw a lot of them struggling on how they transitioned from these small talent management projects to helping customers go to a full cloud transition. Yeah, so just, you know, coming back, uh, Jesse, to, to the customer experience and, and that continuity, um, you know, probably one of the most important things, we didn't even see it. We didn't even see it until almost operating two years into it about how important maintaining that customer relationship is past the initial go live. Uh, we really started to see the go live as not the end, but the beginning. The go live is truly the beginning and the day one experience for the customer. And that's when we actually really started to focus on support because support was a support strategy and being able to give the services that our clients need in a in, in the right size, right? Like they don't need five people 100%. So how can we figure out the right size for the amount of support the customers need? Um, and also for it to be flexible because the customers have, some customers want a lot of help. Some customers want to upskill their team. So the model had to be very flexible. And that's when um, it was really about two to three years into the, the start of our company where we've really focused on support, um, which we run through our uh, Help My Cloud channel. We have built our complete own um, standalone support tool that facilitates those transactions and communications with our customers. We're not out there using a, a Zendesk or a ServiceNow um, because our support processes are, are directly tied into how we want to deliver our services to our customers. So it was a big decision for us. We can continue to invest in our actual product for support, but as well as the overall uh, services. And it represents 25% uh, of our business right now. And it, it's, um, and it, the value of that's actually more, way more than just the 25%, because those relationships that we have with our customers are uh, everlasting. And a lot of our work, frankly, is done as uh, no bid, no competition work with, with our existing customer portfolio. And Michael, if, if I may jump in here, right, and it's great how you showed this flow, right, and how it's changing, and I especially pick up on the 25% what shows there's a huge shift in terms of services portfolio from a services portfolio that is centered around bringing you to the initial goal life to a services portfolio that is more relevant once you are live and drive this continuous innovation. But one thing where you made me curious is, right, you were quite clear how a consultant was called in, in, in the past, in the legacy world. But now I'm a little bit curious, how would you describe the consultant in the new world, right? No longer no longer the prime, is no longer the functional technical consultant. What is the, the thing to, which the most ambitious people will land there? Where do the most ambitious people land in, in, in your current world? Yeah, uh, well, it's a great topic because obviously the skill set has uh, needed to change a little bit, and you know we can. I, I'm really looking forward to talking about various topics around low code, no code, and what that means um, for how we deliver services and do implementations. I mean, the first thing is, 
it, it takes less time uh, to pick up the technology uh, as a consultant. So there is the capability to do um, uh, a faster you know, learning curve, learning how to deploy it. And that's actually part of our strategy is uh, very early on in our company, um, you know, we knew if we brought young, bright people in that they can learn this technology very quickly. So we've invested in bringing new talent, new consultants uh, into this organization. Um, we have also uh, cross-trained and, and, and brought people from the legacy on-premise experience who have uh, successfully become success factor consultants. Um, so is it still technical? It is still technical. You still need to be smart. You have to know how to work with the technology. Do you need to stare at code? You don't need to stare at code. I mean, that's that's a big advantage. Can things be done faster? Uh, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting for us is uh, as we started growing as a company and bringing in new talent, what we have found is, you know, it was very easy for them not easy, but over a couple of years, they could develop the appropriate skill set to, to figure out how to deploy the software. Um, but what they're still struggling, and it's the biggest thing that everyone should be emphasizing, is still having that strategic consulting capability uh, to be able to have the conversations with the customers around truly what is leading practice. Why should they do something? Uh, with the software in a certain way? How is it going to benefit the company? Uh, how is it going to improve their process? Those are still, you know, very hard skill sets that take experience and time. Um, you have to work in different industries across different customers uh, to have this become part of your DNA. It's, it's not just something you can read off a leading practice slide and uh, fake it till you make it. Um, so that's a big part of what we focus on with our consultants and, and how we're trying to develop talent at our organization. It's, it's not just learning the software, um, but really learning how to be strategic with our customers. So if I hear you correct, right, what, is, what has shifted is, while in the past you were the guru because you didn't know how to debug and go into the code, today, today you are the hero because you become the business process expert that can advise the customer on business process best practices and how to, to improve and how to drive outcomes, business outcomes with the software. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, I think a big part of it too is we're not customizing, we're configuring. And that's a big thing that we, when we're, at least in our sales world too, like in the client engagement world, customers will say, you know, well, what can we customize? And we like to kind of softly correct them and say, well, we're not customizing, right? We're configuring. And I think that's a big difference too between the on-prem world and the cloud world, right? It's a SaaS solution. And there's a lot we can do with it. And we do, I like to say we're not the yes company and we're not the no company. So what do I mean by that? Uh, when, a, when a customer says, can you do this? Uh, we don't just say, nope, can't be done, SaaS solution and move on. Right. Uh, we also don't say, yep, let's do it and go ahead and configure it that way for there to be some type of downstream impact six months from now. So we do still take that very consultative approach, but there is a big difference between customization and configuration. Mike, something you would add to that? No, I think, I, yeah, I think you're right on point, Jesse. 
It, it also ties very much into my earlier point that that the whole uh, shift to a more cloud mindset actually starts there, right? I mean, it's, it's convincing the customer not to customize um, uh, too much uh, or anything at all, but try to get the most out of the current product so that you can land fast and from there start to expand and, and go into that continuous innovation cycle. We still live in a challenge every day. Uh, yeah, we all do. Still not old. Um, and it's still a lot of uh, convincing sometimes to customers, um, letting go of existing processes, letting go of, you know, how something might have been done exactly at a specific way in the organization um, and really embracing uh, the technology and embracing standardization. Um, yeah, because it's... Brace that standardization, you're going to benefit from the innovation in that product. You're going to benefit from the lower cost of ownership in that product. Um, and I, most customers have figured it out, but it's still something we, we have to tackle with them every day. Yeah, but it's exactly the, the sort of hero role that Hans was alluding to, that you're, uh, you're consulting on business processes rather than more on technology these days which is which is um, making uh, the whole the whole company and the whole market shift towards that more cloud oriented model so uh, yeah I mean I, I I'll just share I mean be a little bit transparent about uh, what we do internally as a company we uh, in 2020 and 2021 have probably dedicated about 15 to 20 percent of our total consulting capacity into what we've referred to, as our leading practice, uh, the Veritas Prime Model Company. Um, this is a significant investment we do internally um, with how we deploy the solution with our, with our customers. Um, it's a config-based solution. It's a process map-based solution. Um, it's part of our uh, methodology. And you have to be willing uh, to take that investment um, if you're going to be uh, successful with, with these customers. Maybe Sorry, Jesse, go on. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted maybe on this one, right? Because it's a great one, right? Because what you say, you, you package it up, right? You bring in the business contact and you, you try to make it more easy and digestible for the customer to understand the business process change. Do you see customers are willing to, to invest into this or do they see this as a sales effort that they want to see coming from you? Or is this becoming the core of your, your services business? I think customers expect the partners to provide this and a lot of partners will sell. I mean, that's even SAP tries to sell it, right? When they're going through the customer sales process, they're going to bring in their adoption teams and the other people. And there's, there's so much done that's trying to show about, Hey, because of our methodology, because of our leading practices, this is how we're going to help you transform company. Um, and so, the customer expects it, and um, I would say all all of the competitors in the space understand it's important. Um, so everyone tries to do it right, but you really got to be able to execute on it. And it starts it starts like I said with the investment when we literally take fifteen to twenty percent of our company capacity uh, to constantly be reinvesting internally, so that we're not just uh, talking the talk, but, you know, walking the walk and actually executing on it. Um, it's a great thing. And uh, part of, you know, I think one of the most important things, you know, if you're a success factor partner out there right now, um, I will just say, if you're not working with the SAP deployment management tool, 
uh, you're, you're really far behind right now. And it was a really important innovation. This was a concept I think SAP took from on-premise. You know, sometimes those back in the day, those on-premise people, they were still smart with uh, how the technology should work. And you had the concept of uh, packaging work through transports, right? And uh, what we have with our deployment management tool that's offered by SAP was really game-changing uh, for the industry. Um, and it's how we start every one of our uh, clients when they have a, a greenfield success factor landscape, we're, we're deploying our preset solution um, for uh, the day one. We go into project kickoff and they have a fully functional success factor environment based on our leading practices. That's awesome. And I think this is maybe another other point to, to, to talk about, right, is how, how tools and technology are changing the way projects are running, right? Um, because yeah. if, if, I, if I listen to you, like literally, even the configuration is done somehow automatically, and then the work of the consultants become really the adjustment of the processes. Uh, is this how you would describe the day in, day out for your consultants in, in, in today's world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still, uh, it's we use the tool to facilitate requirement discussions. So you still have, I would say, that legacy, you know, kind of requirement design process still needs to happen uh, with the customers. And really it's it's then working in this low code, no code environment. Um, but hey, SuccessFactors is still, it's still very complex software to, to learn and master when you're getting into business rules, when you're getting into the workflow technology, uh, being able to shape the solutions to the customer's requirements and truly still meet their expectations. The product is flexible enough, but you still got to have that skill set uh, to do it. But of course, as you're going through that decision and helping them go through the requirements, there's still good things to do and bad things to do. And that's where, as a consultant, you really have to still have that experience and be able to consult on leading practices. Um, there's, it's, I can't tell you how many projects we've come into um, that weren't implemented by us. And there was bad workflow design, there was bad business rules configured, there was uh, a horrible security model configured for the customer. And so all of these things are still really important to go through. Uh, make sure you're, you're, you can start with a, a, an out of the box solution, a leading practice deployment, um, but you still have to make something that works for the customer, that makes sense. Very much does, yes. All right. Hey, we've come to more or less the end of the podcast. Lunch goes fast. Um, there's one question that we always want to ask um, uh, our guests at the end, and I'm not sure if we need to ask it twice or if you guys want to answer it uh, as, a, as a duo. Uh, the question is, if you're going to have lunch next time and talk about this topic, what celebrity or famous person or inspiration of yours would you like to have lunch with? And what would, you, what would be your most important question to that person? Oh my! I'll let Mike go first. No, <laughs> just take it, take it. So it's it's who would I who would I want to have lunch with and why? Yep. Oh goodness! Well, my go-to is uh, it's morbid, I guess. It's Keith Morrison who hosts Dateline. I don't know. There's just something about him that I find intriguing and in how he tells a story. So, as a salesperson, you know. Whoever tells the story best wins. And I just think Keith Morrison tells an incredible story. And so I'd like to understand more of what drives him and how does he tell that story? Because I'm always hooked. So that, that would be my lunch guest. 
All right. Awesome. Mike. I mean, I think mine is uh, virtually impossible to happen. Uh, it's a very sad uh, thing uh, that Steve Jobs is no longer with us. But if I could have sat down and had lunch with Steve Jobs uh, and just understand uh, how he approached building his company, how he focused on what good products were and good services for his customers, uh, man, that would have been definitely one of the greatest experiences of my life because he, he obviously made a huge impact on our world. Sure. Well, he had his focus um, also on on the customers um, 100% of the time, like um, you talked about in, in this podcast as well. So um, it's, a, it's a good one to talk to him about it indeed, but no longer with us. I, I will say one thing a little bit ironic is I'm, I'm kind of an anti-Apple person, though. I, I'm definitely <laughs> an Android Google person, but I still respected Steve Jobs as an innovation and entrepreneur. He's a credible, credible person. And you, Yip and Han, would you have lunch with? I mean, I, I'm an absolute sports person. So most likely I would go for one of the famous sports stars, right? So, um, so and, and obviously be, being German, right, and, and being into football, soccer deeply, uh, I would go for Franz Beckenbauer. All right. Franz Beckenbauer. Oh, <laughs> you have some, some guts saying that with a Dutch person in the room. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. Go, but, but I think we have time to wrap up, right? But big, big yep. thank you, uh, Jessica and Michael. Uh, really awesome. Great insights. I think uh, everyone will appreciate to, to listen and learn to it. And, and so thank you for the time and looking forward to seeing you for a relaunch pretty soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Thanks both. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Out to Lunch. Make sure to subscribe to see what's on the menu next week. Enjoy your lunch.